He scores! Gilmore scores! Off the glass, the left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by all Aguila's rebound. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. All right, welcome to another week and welcome to the final week of the regular season. Sour of Flame Stocks underway, coming at you from the Scotiabank Saddledome, Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Hot Stove Lounge, Aaron Vickers from NHL.com. My name is Pat Steinberg. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon, and, of course, live right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, we get Flames Talk underway this hour, and we know for sure the Flames will play 81 meaningful games this season. We know that for an incontrovertible fact because game 81 Monday night against the Nashville Predators uh, means something. The question becomes, do they play 82 and do they play more than 82? And that question could be answered on Monday night. It could be figured out on Tuesday night. And the best way the Flames can make that answer or the best way the Flames can... um, come close to the answer to either of those questions being yes is if they beat the Predators in game 81. Here's the scenario. Uh, by the way, happy Easter. Hi, Vicks. Oh, hey, buddy. Uh, Calgary's tragic number, 1.5 or three points. So that's three points lost by the Flames, gained by Winnipeg, or any combination thereof. And if that ends up coming to pass... Um, then they will be eliminated from playoff contention. Uh, There's also no way that they can catch Nashville, even if they can't catch Winnipeg. So essentially, three is the tragic number for Calgary, or 1.5 in games. How are we feeling about their odds? How are we feeling? It's Monday afternoon. A new week begins. We're into the 80s. 80 in the book, two to go. Text lines open at 960-960. Are you resigned to them missing? Are you still uh, keeping the faith? Are you still, like uh, Wedley says, uh, not dreaming it's over? Um, where are you on the odds and the optimism and the chances of the Flames playing beyond Game 82 this year? That's a heck of a question because I 100% don't know where I fall on this. I can see a scenario where the Calgary Flames win the remaining two games and I can see a scenario where they're out before the, I was going to say the calendar flips to Tuesday. I guess the, the clock strikes midnight on Monday night and, and they're out of it. So if you're asking me to put a percentage on if I'm all in on the Calgary Flames making the playoffs, if I'm all out or somewhere in between, I don't have a really a definitive answer. I think that there's certainly an uphill battle for them in order to get to the to the second wild card spot and hold it. And there's, as you ran through, there's any number of scenarios that can happen between the Jets, Flames, and Predators. As it stands, I don't love it. I don't love it, Pat. If, uh, I mean... And that's not a percentage. No, it's not. But you know what? I'm going to just extrapolate that I don't love it is not a high number. Um, (laughs) The... There are any number of ways that Monday night could end. It, they could end with the Flames in a playoff spot. They could, it could end with the Flames being eliminated from playoff contention and a couple of uh, permutations in between. That's where they are right now, and even with no runway remaining, where they are right now is, yeah, they could be in a playoff spot and protecting with one game to go. They could remain exactly where they are, one point back with even less runway, or they could be 
mathematically eliminated by the time the clock strikes midnight and Tuesday, April 11th is official. That's that's where the things that's where things are, and I think that's why we're talking about this being such a. That, that's why we keep using the term uphill climb, because even if the Flames are in a playoff spot at the end of Monday, even if the Jets end up losing again to San Jose on Monday night and the Flames beat the Predators, which is no easy task, they still don't control their own destiny. So, yeah, it, it remains a uh, uphill climb. It remains a situation where here's what I know for sure, because the Flames cannot control anything else. All they can do at this point is play with no margin for error, play like there is no margin for error, and get their results. And if their results are both W's, then at the very least, and especially if this one's a W, then maybe Wednesday means something, and then maybe they're watching TV on Thursday and or Friday to see, probably Thursday, um, to see whether or not they've got any more playoff life. That's that's your best case scenario if you're the Calgary Flames, and it starts with a win against the Preds, and I understand if you're not feeling optimistic, I saw I, I ran the gamut on my Twitter replies after posting Uh-oh. the lineup. There was, uh, Pat, why are they playing this guy or that guy? Why aren't they playing this guy or that guy? Because they're not going. And then there's plenty of, all they got to do is this, and all the Jets got to do is that. Of course it's not over, uh, and, and kind of everywhere in between. So that's where things sit right now. And because there are so many different permutations as to where this thing could end by the end of Monday, I can understand why Flames fans are kind of all over the map in terms of how they're feeling about this thing. Well, and here's the scenario heading into Monday's game against the Predators. The Calgary Flames are out with a regulation loss and one point from Winnipeg. Winnipeg, of course, hosting the San Jose Sharks, who they have not beaten this season. The other alternative is they are eliminated with an overtime or shootout loss and any Winnipeg win. So here's really why I'm a little wishy-wash here, not sure, you know, not feeling all that great. The Jets' schedule to me is kind of interesting because they play the San Jose Sharks on Monday. They have the second of back-to-backs at the Minnesota Wild. And then on Thursday, they play the Colorado Avalanche. There is a scenario that isn't hard to fathom that they beat San Jose and then lose the remaining two games especially with a tough back-to-back heading to Minnesota and then playing at Colorado with potentially the Central Division on the line. So do I love Winnipeg's schedule? No. Have I loved Calgary's schedule? Yeah, it's been pretty favorable over the last month. That hasn't necessarily meant much. So do you take the fact that the Calgary Flames' record against um, quote-unquote lesser opponents and, and their lack of capitalization and then do the exact opposite and look at Winnipeg's schedule and go, well, they've got some tough games up ahead. Um, I just don't know what to make of the remaining three games for the Winnipeg Jets and the remaining pair against or with the Calgary Flames, who obviously host the Nashville Predators Monday and then welcome the San Jose Sharks. Um, here is, and I guess we see. I'm, I'm curious to see what the Flames can muster in Game 81 and Game 82. Uh, they finished their regular season on home ice least give themselves a chance to be in the mix at the end of the year and and I think what you're hoping for is that the final game that late night Wednesday game here at the Dome ends up meaning something uh, the shootout loss I was, I was thinking about this because a text came in Saturday post game on the Flames Talk post game show and the shootout loss didn't change a whole lot. All it did was make it slightly easier on the Jets. It didn't change much for the Flames in that um, the situation for um, the situation for Winnipeg 
got maybe slightly easier because all they need is three points as opposed to four if Calgary wins that game in regulation or wins that game in a shootout. But it doesn't really change the fact the Flames still need to win out, and by doing so, they could put pressure on Winnipeg. I guess it's put a little bit more of a firmer grip on the steering wheel for Winnipeg, but didn't really change all that much for the Flames. I, I For me, it kind of, you know, in terms of their chances of making, had they lost that game in regulation, which there was a chance they could, had they lost that game, I think you could have been talking about their chances being basically 0%. Uh, They get the single point, and even though it's an L and another extra time L, I don't really feel all that different about where the Flames are coming out of the weekend as I did going into the weekend. It doesn't change anything from a Calgary Flames perspective, and we heard multiple players say this morning that basically they need to win out the rest of the remaining two games. Yeah, they had to do that regardless of, of if they got two points at Vancouver or if they got one. And as you mentioned, to me, it just makes things easier on the Jets, and that's the last thing you want to do. And you mentioned it, and the magic number's three now. could have been four. Well, that's, in theory, 25% easier for the Winnipeg Jets, who hold the first tiebreaker. That's the only one that matters. They hold the second tiebreaker as well, but it won't get to the second tiebreaker at this point. First tiebreaker being regulation wins. Had they won, the Flames would have needed a single point over the remaining two games if the Jets somehow managed to find a way to lose all three Had they won and the Jets beat San Jose before losing to Minnesota and Colorado, Calgary still would have needed three of a possible four points. Calgary's got to finish one point ahead of the Winnipeg Jets. There's no scenario in which they can tie the Jets in points and advance to the playoffs. So, yeah, it doesn't change Calgary's perspective of what they need to do, but you've just increased Winnipeg's margin of error just slightly. Well, and here is the – and the the insane part is is that if – and, and it would be an absolute collapse, and the Jets wouldn't deserve cool. to be going to the playoffs if this were to happen. But if the Jets get zero of four points in the next 48 hours, Monday and Tuesday, then Calgary, with a win on uh, against Nashville, could clinch on Wednesday, um, and, and they could be in control of their own destiny with a win. Now, that would be... That would be deserving because oh, yeah. if the Jets get zero of a possible four against San Jose and Minnesota, then they don't deserve to be going anyway. So, and and that would be the Flames being the more deserving group if they could if they were to if they were to win their next two and then somehow clinch on Wednesday, that would be seven one and one in their last nine games, and that would be them um, not backing in. That would be them very much taken back the driver's seat on the way in. Again, they need a lot of help in the next 48 hours for that to happen, and who knows what the Jets will do because they've been prone to uh, some significant steps back. They've been prone to some really good games. They looked great against Nashville. Those two games against New Jersey and Detroit, they were great. They didn't look so good against Calgary on Wednesday, so I, I don't know what to expect from any of these teams in the conversation. The only thing that I expect is Nashville to give Calgary a really hard time at the Dome because the Preds are talent-wise kind of near the bottom of the league in terms of what they put out on the ice on an every-night every basis, but they are playing hard and making life difficult on everybody. So the only thing that I really feel like I expect is that Nashville's going to play a really structured game against the Flames on Monday night. Whether it's enough, I don't know, but it, it kind of feels like that's what we're going to see. I watched particularly close the, uh, as I'm sure a lot of Calgarians did, the uh, Nashville Predators-Winnipeg Jets game. And it was uh, it was what you wanted if you were a Winnipeg Jets fan in terms of controlling the play and dictating the pace and whatnot. And I'm in being in that Nashville Predators room, 
Monday morning. They want to learn that lesson. They want to take what happened on Saturday against the Winnipeg Jets, a 2 nothing loss, if I'm remembering correctly. And they weren't necessarily happy. And and some of the veterans in that room wanted the young kids because they've got a lot of young players in the lineup, a lot of young players leading the way right now with um, the absences of many players that that are injured, many veteran players, many star players, uh, a lot of players that got traded at the trade deadline. The veterans in that room want the youngsters to remember that feeling in Winnipeg on Saturday, take those lessons and apply it into Calgary because the Calgary Flames are going to try and dictate the pace. They're going to try and dictate uh, possession. Uh, they're going to, UC Saros is going to see a ton of rubber in this game. They're going to be shooting from everywhere. And so it'll be interesting and curious to see how the Nashville Predators respond after losing what was a very critical game Saturday in Winnipeg, and they're right back at it on Monday with an equally critical one. I want to ask you, did we get a percentage out of you on how you're feeling about the Calgary Flames? And the text line can weigh in at 960 as well. But did we get a percentage number from you? One in four. 25? 25%-ish. I mean, and I might be, that might be high for some people. That's probably where I am. Could you just cop out and go 33% and then just divide it equally between the Jets, Flames, and, and Predators? Is that No, cheating? because I think they've got a better chance than Nashville does. And, and so, I, yeah, one in four. I think the Jets probably, I don't, I don't think Nashville's going to make it. So I'll go Calgary one and four, Jets three and four. But one and four, you can get that on your first flip. Chip so, in a chair. Yep. Um, let's uh, let's take a look at uh, the text line before we move on to a couple of other texts at 960-960. Um, this says, this has been the most ridiculous season since the Brent, Brent Sutter years. Tree has done good things for this franchise, but as it were, this franchise isn't quite the pickle. That comes from Rick. This says... Uh, both teams do not deserve the eight seed at this point. Will be a gentleman sweep against whoever they play. It's shaping up like that's going to be Vegas. Could be Edmonton. Uh, Vegas just got Mark Stone back. Stone is back skating, so it looks like he will be ready for round number one. And uh, other NHL GMs immediately start raising eyebrows and say, wait a second, wait a second. Are you doing this again? Um, this says, based on winning percentage, Flames are deserving less deserving than the Predators and the Jets. Absolutely. I will say this. Anybody who criticized Montreal two years ago for getting in over the Flames either has to take that back (laughs) because that's how the Flames are going to get in if they do get in or you just have to be okay with the loser point being a part of it because I remember that year and other years there's always been this well if they did the 3-2-1 point system look where the Flames would be well you don't want to apply that this (laughs) year If they did the 3-2-1, the, the last number of weeks would have been meaningless for the Calgary Flames. Uh, this says, this team squandered a 5-2 and two start. It was actually a 5-1 start. This team squandered a 5-2 and two start with seven straight losses. A bad February sunk this team's playoff chances. That's from Matt and Cochran. Uh, this says, hello, Pat. Do they have any pride? If they do, they need to show it. Whether they're in or out, they'll only get what they deserve to get as an organization. That's from Patrick and Calgary. Um, I will say... They've shown a significant amount of pride or resilience yeah. or whatever word you want to use. They've shown a remarkable amount of it uh, going back to the beginning of March, whether it's the win over Minnesota, whether it's the, the two straight comebacks, the, specifically the one in Vancouver. Uh, they almost beat Vancouver again. If they did, it would have been, what, three of four wins would have come by third period comeback, of which they had none in their first 75 games or whatever it was. Um, so I, I, I do think they've shown a significant amount of fight and resilience here and I think that that shows you something about what the group could be and it's a good trait to have I don't think it erases the frustration of this season if they don't get in but I do think it's a small positive that we've seen from this group in in the month of March and into April 
not to dwell too much on that Saturday game against Vancouver, but going into it, didn't it feel like it was going to be an overtime loss, no matter which? Like, to me, the vibe of that game was going to be overtime loss. Now, I didn't peg it as a, you know, two-goal come-from-behind rally to force the extra frame. Probably looked more in my head like a 5-4 overtime loss or something like that, but to me, it just felt like it was going to be a, a single-point outing for the Calgary Flames in that one. Well, just, the, just the hunch, not anything statistical or strategic behind it. Just, just felt like the hunch to me. That overtime could have ended about 12 times. Um, This says uh, if they tie Winnipeg, that means they miss the playoffs by one goal. Gross. That comes from Stephen Airdrie. Uh, A lot of one goals, too, because how many one goal games have they lost this season? It's true. Uh, Claude writes, Pat, Money Puck has it at around 16% odds to make the playoffs, which seems right. It's been a harsh year. Uh, Brett and Calgary, I so badly want to say they'll go all the way, but I don't know, guys. Statistically speaking, they'll more than likely choke right at the last moment, but I'm feeling cautiously optimistic, I guess. Dylan from the Foothills says, I so wanted them to make the playoffs. Going to a playoff game is better than a hot date. That being said, I want them out of the playoffs so they can fix these problems for next year's season if they win they won't fix anything. Uh, this reads, I've heard people all day referring to this game as Game 7. Well, Game 7 would suggest win and they're in. Tonight's Game 4, and they're trying their best to not be swept. Uh, this reads, I feel the same way I felt the majority of my life cheering for this team. When it comes to the last handful of games, they're scraping and clawing for a last playoff position, and truthfully, they often fall short by a couple of points. Uh, Kevin writes, I have zero faith they make it. They haven't taken care of their business all year. No faith they'll get the remaining four points. Um, Ray says, I for the first time think they can do it. They can win both their games, and both the Jets games on the road are against teams that want to win. Uh, Wedley says, I'm all in. Don't dream it's over. I'm returning to my seats tonight. And this says I'm going, but I'm super leery. So kind of uh, all over the map when it comes to where people are on the Flames as their playoff opportunities are slim, but not completely none at this point. I would say they're more than negligible. Uh, but they're still not likely. Uh, the, the the most likely scenario is, odds-wise, standings-wise, all of it is they miss, but that is by no means a guarantee, which means you want to see them play that way against the Predators on Monday night. Milan Lucic, I think, said it best, and he was referencing a saying that he heard from another individual. In situations like this where there's pressure, don't feel the pressure, apply the pressure. I think the Calgary Flames need to do just that. They've got a team that's right on their heels in the almost an identical situation as them. This is, to me, I understand the uh, the analogy of this is a game four, not a game seven, but it's a game seven in the sense if you don't have this, well, it's, she's pretty much curtains for you in your season. And again, to go back to right off the top, they've, they're going to guarantee themselves 81 meaningful games. Is game 82 going to be meaningful? comes down to the decision tonight what uh, would we make uh, by the way it's pat and vickers uh we're underway aaron vickers of nhl.com pat steinberg this hour of flames talk from the dome well underway what do we think of that game on saturday it was kind of a mixed bag for me because there was a lot i didn't like and um there was a lot that i did like the the starts i that that has got to be figured out because if that's not figured out it's not going to help him in the playoffs. And if it's not figured out, it's not going to help him get into the playoffs, even with two games to go. So I, I really, truly despise the first period, regardless of what we saw in the final 40 and the fact they were able to push. 
they shouldn't have to be in that spot against a team that they're well ahead of in the standings. And they shouldn't have to be in that spot knowing how desperate they were. And of course they've got a good chance of coming back on a Canucks team that was playing a half NHL, half tryout blue line. Of course they've got a chance of, of applying the pressure. But don't put yourself in that situation where you can get Demcoed by having a, a really poor first period. And that's exactly what they did. So despite the fact that their actual stakes for me didn't change all that much from going into the game to coming out of it it still was a scenario where I was I I guess I came away from the game great resilience awesome you came back but I, I felt like that was a night where I felt like because of how poorly they played the first 20 minutes, it felt like they still lost a point as opposed to came, came back and gained one, as much as I thought there were positives in the final 40 minutes. Well, and that's been a little bit of a narrative through the season where a lot of the times when they get to overtime, it feels like they lost a point as opposed to just gained one point and couldn't capture the second one. I thought they came out tentative. I thought they came out a little shy knowing what a critical game it was. I think, it, I mean, they did allow a goal 9-0-3 in the first period, not super early, but I think habitually early goals have been deflating for this team. I wonder if they just wound themselves up too tight heading in and then just couldn't relax, couldn't release. Um, For me, from an individual standpoint, that was Elias Lindholm's best game in quite some time, and that's a positive sign you can take out of it. But overall, I'm kind of uh, of a similar thinking to you as you don't want to be put in a situation where you have to come back over and over again like we've seen over the course of the last couple of weeks. And that yep. doesn't bode well if you are, in fact, a playoff team. If you do find a way to get that number two seed, or pardon me, the second wild card from the West, doesn't bode well if you're always playing catch-up hockey because at some point that catches up with you. Uh, no lineup changes for this game. Uh, Flames look like they're sticking with the exact same 20 humans that they went with against... Vancouver on Saturday. Markstrom will get the start and no changes in terms of alignment either. That means it'll be the 11th time in 12 games that Jacob Pelche will sit out. I'm I'm having a tough time with this one. It is maybe the... Look, I have zero confusion or even disagreement with Matt Coronado not playing. I, I get that. Zero professional games, like five professional practices. I understand not going with him uh, at this critical juncture of a season. But not going with Pelche doesn't make any sense to me. And and to have him sitting for as long as he sat is hard to wrap my head around. I, I don't know if there's really any justification you can throw at me for it. I think that he's been strong. I think that he's added punch. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have sat out at all because they've got lots of guys fighting for lineup spots, but I don't know. For him to sit for 11 of 12, aside from the fact that I think he should be playing, and if you're not going to play him here, send him back to the American League and let him play there, but I don't even even that out of the question. Even if he wasn't eligible to go to the American League or needed waivers or something, I still don't get why he's not playing at the NHL level. I, I don't quite understand why he has been stapled to the press box for the last 33 of 36 periods. It's a it's a super, super head-scratcher for me. Well, he should be playing somewhere, first and foremost. If he's not going to be playing with the Calgary Flames, he should be playing for the Calgary Wranglers, who still um, are, are sliding into the, their push for the Calder Cup playoffs. They're obviously secured, but they are ramping things up. It's not like the Calgary Flames have a lot of irreplaceable players in their lineup right now. There's there's any number of players you could remove from the lineup and put Jacob Pelci in, in, in their bottom six. And for me, what you get with Jacob Pelci is you're going to get speed, you're going to get enthusiasm, you're going to get some lightheartedness, 
And basically, he's he's a little uh, energy bug when he's on the ice or when he's on the bench. And I think the Calgary Flames could use a little bit of that, for lack of a better term, relief that he brings just by his presence. It's weird to talk about this as a 21-year-old kid, 22-year-old kid, but there are so many leadership qualities present in his game, both on and off the ice. And just he's an easy guy to root for, whether you're a fan or a teammate or even a coach. I just don't think that the Calgary Flames have irreplaceable wingers in their lineup right now where you go, oh, I can't put Pelche in for that guy. I think having him sit as long as it has, there's been... I understood the argument for sitting him six straight before he played him. Sure. And I understand the argument of there's something to be gained by watching. I just don't know what there's been to gain over the last week or so in having him sit. I think he's absorbed as much as he can by saying, now it's time to put him back in, let him show what he's absorbed, what he's learned from afar, and getting him in. And we just talked about this team being tentative and, and not having a ton of energy and jump to start hockey games, would your your most energetic and and kind of enthusiastic legs. guy on top of being the freshest legs, would that not help? Like I, I it's it's hard to it's hard to wrap my head around that one. I'm I'm having a real tr- real issue with so and really for it's me. not going to change against against uh, the Preds. That's for sure. And if 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 Wednesday means anything, I don't think it changes anything uh, for the San Jose game. But that doesn't mean I agree with it. For me, when you look at that fifth line, I guess you could kind of dub them with uh, Coronado, Pelche, and Ruzicka. For me, like we don't need to have this conversation about Coronado like you suggested. We don't even need to have it about Ruzicka. But I think that the way that Pelche played when he was up, yeah, he probably could could have popped out for a couple games. I don't think he needed to sit this long. But he's, it's not like he's a complete liability in his own end. He plays 200 feet. He's a smart player. He, a lot of energy. He's not afraid to bump a guy if he needs to. Like, there's a lot of elements of the game that he touches that, as a rookie, may, might surprise. But at the same time, he can be an impactful player if and when he's in the lineup for me. And so to have him sit for as long as he has, just to me, it's a little bit of a head scratcher. Well. Uh, just wanted to uh, just wanted to say one more thing. We've talked all year about the great season Michael Backlund has had, but uh, our friends over at the Professional Hockey Writers Association, um, headed by Flames Talk family member Wes Gilbertson, the chapter chair, uh, they have voted Michael Backlund as Calgary's nominee of the 32 nominees league-wide for the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy. So good for Michael, uh, having a career year at the age of 33 and now 34, so very neat to see Michael Backlund as the Flames recipient of the Bill Masterton Memorial Award, and I believe that we will be getting our uh, Peter Marr Good Guy Award winner on Tuesday. Uh, we'll see how that ends up falling as well. A couple more on the text line at 960-960. Um, this says Jacob should be with the Wranglers honing his talent. That's where I am. If you're not going to play him, then uh, you might as well have him with the Wranglers. Um this says maybe Daryl puts Pelche's number on Oof. the blackboard to play, but puts the wrong number. That's okay, actually that's, not that's, bad. It's a good throwback. Um, this says the team that wants it the most and plays desperate will win tonight. I'm calling 4-1 Nashville. Um, this says from Ray in Calgary, like the season so far, Flames will be in a spot to clinch on Wednesday against the Sharks, but come out flat and lose to a bottom feeder club and lose out. Jeez, there are some... Like some of the scenarios glass, that are being thrown glass out. isn't even half empty. Well, it's I mean, there's been a few empty. out there that uh, that I referenced a little earlier about while well, the Jets will lose the next two in regulation, the Flames will clinch on Wednesday. So you've got 
glass super half full and that one pretty half empty uh, on it as well. So there you go, 960-960 on the text line. It's Pat and Vickers with you. Aaron Vickers from NHL.com. My name is Pat Steinberg. We're in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Worried about radon? They install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time for a Monday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Pre-select your summer tire package now and they'll store your winter tires all summer long. This program's available until they run out of space. Visit Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Ca. It's Pat Steinberg, Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. And on the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Well, earlier this hour, guys, we were talking about uh, the, the poor start the Flames had, the poor first period they played in Vancouver. They were able to mitigate that with a much better Final 40 and eventually come back to force extra time and get the single point in the 3-2 shootout loss. But why do we think starting games has been such an issue for the Flames this year? And more so especially of late. You know, they've been a very resilient team in the month of March into April. They've won some big games. They've kept themselves in this mix, and, and who knows, maybe they find a way to sneak into the playoffs. But one thing you can't say is that they have consistently started games on time in the last month and a bit. Why do we think that has been an issue recently for the group? Well, if you can explain it, you're a better man than me because I haven't been able to figure it out, and I've asked plenty of people about it. I've asked managers, coaches, players, other members of the media, and no one's really been able to offer up a good explanation. I asked Nazem Kadri about it on Monday morning, and he couldn't really explain it. Uh, it's not like they're going into games thinking, okay, it's all right if we fall behind by a goal or two, if we give up a goal on the first shot, if we're chasing all night. It's not what they're thinking. You know, they have the intention of starting strong, but it just hasn't happened. I'm not sure this explains anything, but it, it does look like on a lot of nights that they're sticking their toe in the water instead of diving headfirst into games and setting the tone. And I think it starts with a good first shift for all four lines and all three pairings. Just get through those four lines and those three pairings and don't take a penalty, don't give up a goal. Try to get your forward check going. Uh, they've just had a tough time doing that. I'm not sure there's really any way to explain why they've had a tough time doing that. I guess the other thing that I've thought a little bit about is even though they've given up a goal on the first shot, I believe nine times this season, they've been able to battle back in a lot of those games. Even if they didn't win them, they were able to battle back and get back to even maybe pick up a point with one of their many overtime and shootout losses or even two points in some games. And I think about that 2014-2015 find-away Flames team that seemed more comfortable playing from behind than from ahead and found new and inventive ways to win hockey games, especially games they were trailing in following 40 minutes. Now, this year's team hasn't done a very good job of that until recently, but uh, they, they believed that if they fell behind in a game, they could battle back and win it. 
Uh, I think there was probably more belief on that team than there's been on this team. But, guys, I mean, we're 80 games into the season, and I haven't heard a good explanation from anybody that I've asked about that. So I'm having a hard time coming up with one myself. Yeah, usually when you ask that question, you get a, uh, if I knew I would fix it response from the player at least. And I'm going to kind of piggyback off you a little bit, Wilsey, where they're dipping a toe in instead of jumping in head first. And to me, they don't seem to be playing on their toes when they start a game. They're more on their heels waiting for something to happen. Typically, when you wait for something to happen and on your heels instead of your toes, bad things happen more frequently than good things. And we, you mentioned it, nine goals uh, on first shots this season. Doesn't even necessarily need to be the first shot, but how many times have we seen a goal against first in the five first shots. five minutes, yeah. um, first ten minutes? And so it's almost like they're waiting for something deflating to happen. Um, I don't know if that makes them get wound up a little too tight or they're, they're thinking too much or not thinking enough or whatever it is. Again, don't really have a good read on it because anytime you ask it, simple answer, if I knew, I'd fix it. I don't know. I can't fix it. Yeah, I all I all I can do is throw out um, conjecture and um, Hit us theories and hypothesis. I, I don't really have much. Um, I do wonder of late if if kind of the the constant um, just the constant pressure of every game being so meaningful and. Every night, every day prior to a game, they're talking about, well, this one's a must-win and this one's for our season. And I just wonder if that can sometimes lead a team to be a little tentative to start a hockey game because they have started many of their games in a very tentative manner in, in some of these conversations that we're talking about. So I wonder a little bit about that. I don't know if that is actually the reason, but it's the only thing that I can come up with that maybe would make sense as to why starting on time has been such an issue for them. Whatever the case is, they've they've got to figure it out. If if um if if there's 100% or 0% truth to my hypothesis or any other that are thrown out there, it doesn't matter. You still got to figure it out, and yeah. you still got to make sure that you're able to to conquer it in your final two games. And and certainly, if you end up being a playoff team, you have to figure out a way to conquer that because that's going to be even more damning for you in a playoff series. And they have scored first more than they've surrendered first. So I will add that just to add a little bit of uh, clarity and uh, to balance the conversation a little bit. But in the 37 games where they've given up the first goal, They've given up the first goal and the first shot in nine of them. So we're talking about almost 25% yeah. of those games. <laughs> you saw the wheels in my head trying to do math. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 25% would be 36, right, yep. if, if it was nine. So uh, obviously when you give up a goal in the first shot or second or third or fourth or fifth, your, your game plan in a way kind of goes out the window. Even if it shouldn't, it, it probably does. So that's not how you want to start. And I do think that it's been more of a problem at home than on the road. So I guess the other thing that I would say could explain it, or at least partially, I think they've been a little bit looser team in a good way on the road than they have been at home. And Scotiabank Saddledome should give them a significant home ice advantage. This can be a really loud building. And you've got the altitude advantage as well. We don't think of that. But... When I used to travel, I remember I'd go work out uh, when the team was in Denver, and it was way harder to work out there than in Calgary, which has the second highest altitude in the NHL. So if you think that teams that play at sea level aren't feeling that when they come to Calgary, I'm telling you you're wrong. So 
there's been so many statistical anomalies in this 2022-2023 flame season. It's just another one of those things that I haven't been able to wrap my head around, guys. Works the flip side, too, on the road, because when I used to travel with the team, I'd run the KD Trail in Texas. There you go, way easier. And you feel like a champion. Yeah. Um, Not so much when I run here, or basically anywhere at this point. (laughs) Should should be noted, there are two teams on the ice, so maybe some credit goes to the opposition, too, executing their game plan better than the Calgary Flames have when it comes to starts, but I don't have a real definitive take on this one. Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek, Aaron, Pat, on this Monday edition of Flames Talk. Guys, uh, next up for the Flames is Nashville. Whether the Preds end up sneaking in or not, and their chances are are kind of very similar to Calgary's in terms of whether or not they get in based solely on standings. Their points percentage is very, very close to one another. But whether they get in or not, whether they end up beating the Flames or not on Monday night, just how impressed are we with what the Preds have been able to do and with the fact that Nashville is still in this thing and as they go into their 80th game of the season with all of the people they're missing via trade or injury, that here they are and their season is on the line in Game 80 and they're still playing meaningful hockey. Very impressed because, like many, I wrote them off, especially after the trade deadline. When they started selling, they announced that they were making a change at the top. David Poyle, who's on the road with them on this trip, uh, he has been the general manager of that team forever, and uh, he'll be stepping aside. But they've done a hell of a job staying in the race despite the fact that they've had the hardest schedule in the NHL down the stretch, and despite the fact they've been incredibly banged up. So here are the nine guys we expect to miss tonight's game. Jeremy Lozon, Philip Forsberg, Cole Smith, Alex Carrier, Roman Yossi, Yusuf Parsonen, Mark Borowiecki, Ryan Johansson, and Matt Duchesne. So they're without their top two, three of their top four, and five of their top nine-point producers in Yossi, Duchesne, Forsberg, Johansson, and Parsonen. How they keep competing, let alone winning games, is beyond me. I would say the best way to explain it is that they have a number of young, hungry players trying to prove that they belong in the NHL, not only this season, but moving forward. And teams have probably underestimated them a little bit as well. When you look at their lines and pairings, you're like, yeah, yeah. Who? Yeah, who? And trust me, I I did a little bit of that myself today, and I've watched quite a few Predators games of late because, uh, of course, uh, they've been one of the three teams that have been fighting for the second wild card spot. So I think a lot of teams have probably taken them lightly, but, and I heard you talking about it earlier, UC Soros has given them a chance to win pretty yes. much every game that he's played in this season, and tonight will be the 63rd game that he's played in NHL this season. Leading, I believe. Yeah, and, and Hullabuck, yep. he's he's an outlier because he's one of the smallest goaltenders, if not the smallest goaltender in the league. He's only five foot eleven, one hundred and eighty mm-hmm. pounds, but the guy stops bucks. And when you've got a guy who is usually better than the guy at the other end of the ice, he's gonna give you a chance to win. And Sarles has given this young, hungry Predators team uh, a chance to win and uh, I give him a lot of credit because I thought they were gonna fall right out of it. They haven't And another reason why they've been able to hang around, they have been the opposite of the Flames in one-goal games. They've been great in one-goal games. 22-7-8. That is a 7.03 point percentage in one-goal games. So they've been finding ways to win. 
I'm, I'm like you. I wrote them off on March 3rd, the NHL trade deadline. And how can you be anything but impressed? So on the trade deadline, they trade Matias Ekholm to Edmonton. That's your number two defenseman. Granlin gets traded. Janot gets traded. Niederreiter gets traded. That's three top nine forwards. You mentioned all the injuries. They've been without Roman Yossi for a dozen games. Forsberg's missed 29. Ryan Johansson's missed 24. Matt Duchesne's up to seven. That's, that's massive for a team that's still quote-unquote, trying to make a playoff. But I don't even know if they were trying to make a playoff push. They were clearly sellers at the deadline, and the players just said, you know what, we're still going to give it a go. Their leading scorer since the trade deadline, Tommy Novak, 19 <laughs> points in 21 games. Tyler Toffoli leads the Flames with 20 and 19 games Can someone tell comparison. me when he became Tommy, by the way? Like, is it just because he got to Nashville? I'm not even certain there is a Thomas and a Tommy, to be honest with no, you. No, no, it's the, same, it's the okay. same person. I, don't, I just don't understand when it went from, hi, I'm Thomas Novak, to call me Tommy. And I guess, What about Tom? That, that would be next. Anyways, uh, and going into that room and asking them, basically, how have you done this with the injuries, with the guys traded? Colton Sissons told me something that made me laugh. He said, the kids have come up, and and I quote, they don't know any better that the, and that's where the quote ends. I, they don't know any better that the Predators shouldn't be winning. They have, they have so much energy, so much life. Luke Evangelista is 21 years old. He has 13 points in 20 games. Phil Tomasino, 21 years old, 13 points in 20 games. That's the same as Backlund Lindholm, more than Kadri, Coleman, Manjapani, and Dubé from the same date. So their kids are producing. They're keeping them in. And as you mentioned, any team with Saros has a shot to win on any given night. It's hard to do anything but pull for the Nashville Predators based on what their roster looks like, their reconstruction, their injuries, and just the fact that they found a way to still be relevant. I give him credit. Um, I, I asked Daryl Sutter that question after morning skate Monday, and he said, you know, as, basically Daryl said it has nothing to do with um, the fact that they're missing guys. This has been their team identity all year long. They're one of the better teams in the league in terms of giving up opportunities and giving up shots and those types of things. So they, they've been very good in that regard all year. John Hines, you know, there's been a lot of talk about – coaches who have stepped in in new spots over the last few years and done a good job uh, whether it be the the work that Peter DeBoer's done in Dallas, Bruce Cassidy this year in Vegas, obviously what Jim Montgomery's done in Boston, yeah. he's got to be your runaway uh, he's got to be your runaway winner for the Jack Adams when it's all said and done but the Preds do a good job of, of limiting scoring chances, goals against, they've gotten great goaltending all year long but I just, I give them a lot of credit for uh, what they've been able to do since all this happened um, they, uh, they're, they're a they're a solid they're a solid working team. John Hines has them bought in. Sometimes they don't they played they played their tails off on Saturday in Winnipeg, but they didn't have enough. The Jets played a really good game yeah. too, and the Jets are significantly deeper and more talented yeah. than this current Predators team is. So the Jets working as hard was enough for them to win the game. And and I think the same will be true for the Flames. If the Flames match the work ethic, their roster's better than Nashville's roster when it comes to player for player. But the Preds have done one thing and done it consistently, and that is be an extremely consistent, hardworking team that pays attention to their details. They don't score a lot because they don't have a lot of finish and all, but I give them credit because they won't go away. And when you work that hard and you've got a goaltender like yeah. Saros, who is number three in Vesta Trophy, voting behind Markstrom and Shesterkin last year, you give yourself, at the very least, a fighting chance each and every night, regardless of who you're playing against. And if I had a vote, which I don't, I only get to vote on the Jack Jack Adams Award, he'd be top three this year. Saros? Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, you're right, Pat. The Flames are going to win this hockey game tonight. They're probably going to need two things. 
Number one, Jacob Markstrom will probably have to be as good as UC Saros. And number two, they'll have to match the Predators' work ethic. And the Predators' speed, based on what I've seen, could give them some issues as well. So we'll have to find a way to, to handle that. Yeah, I was going to piggyback your work ethic. When you couple that with speed, and early on in that game against Winnipeg, Nashville gave Winnipeg a lot of trouble with their speed. So you combine the work ethic, speed, and the fact that they've got young, fresh legs, it's going to pose a lot of problems for opposing teams. Uh, he's Derek. He's Aaron. I'm Pat. That's your Daily Flames Roundtable on a Monday. It's brought to you, as always, by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Pre-select your summer tire package now, and they'll store your winter tires all summer long. This program's available until they run out of space. Visit MercedesBenzCountryHills.ca. Okay, we uh, ended up working on a Friday. We uh, we gave you two hours of work on, on Good Friday. Uh, we had lots to talk about going into a huge game against the Vancouver Canucks, and uh, because there were no games on Friday. We uh, gave you a best bet for Saturday and ended up cashing, which means oh. I only had one for Saturday, which means we did get ourselves back to a winning record oh last boy. week. Uh, Tyler Toffoli got the point in Vancouver. We uh, best bet Toffoli over half a point. He hit that on the Lindholm goal to get the comeback started. And so we went to five and four last week to get back on the winning side of things. So here's what we got to start a brand new week, our final week of the regular season uh, for uh, Monday, I love this one. As soon as I saw it, Michael Backlund's shot total back to two and a half. Yep. Over two and a half, Michael Backlund has not been at maybe his very best the last two or three games compared to the rest of the season. So I think back on home ice, we're going to see a very strong Backlund performance. The Preds bleed shots with all of their uh, with all their players out right now. They're bleeding a few more shots than normal. So I'm going to go Michael Backlund uh, over two and a half shots, and I'm also going uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand over two and a half shots for Seattle. That's my best bet. I'll throw in a little bonus for you. I'm parlaying Bjorkstrand over two and a half shots and the Kraken to beat the Coyotes in regulation. That bumps you up to about plus 250 if you want to do it. And right now, don't look now, but the Seattle Kraken have got a legitimate chance of knocking the LA Kings down to a wild card spot. Kings have lost three straight. Seattle's won four in a row. They're two back with a game in hand. So all of a sudden, Seattle has got legitimate eyes on sneaking into a Pacific Division playoff spot as opposed to going through the Central Division most likely as the number one wild card. They've already clinched a playoff spot. We know they're going to be going to the playoffs for the first time in, t in franchise history, which tip of the hat like I, I still I don't know if enough is being made of the fact that the Seattle Kraken are going to the playoffs in year two of existence but uh yeah I they they could legitimately be a top three Pacific team so I think they're going to win again I, I this is their third time in five games playing the Arizona Coyotes how's that for a schedule uh so I'll take him to sweep the Coyotes and I'll take Bjorkstrand over two and a half shots how long ago was it that the that there were murmurs of, hey, Pat, well, what about the Calgary Flames catching the Seattle Kraken? It doesn't seem all that long ago, and suddenly... It was like last week, we'll look at, but all you, had to do, all you had to do was look at the games in hand and the schedule and be like, yeah, not probably not. They crushed Arizona 8-1 the first time, then scored five unanswered on Vancouver to erase a 2-0 lead and beat them 5-2. Then they beat up on uh, the Coyotes again. Then they beat Chicago, and uh, now we're talking about them taking on the, uh, the Coyotes again. And it, I, I give them credit. The fact that they have legitimate eyes on tracking down the L.A. Kings who host the uh, Vancouver Canucks on Monday night, that, that's, that's an impressive little run. It's 98 points. 
points for the Kraken with three games to go, 100 points for the Kings with two games to go, and right now the Kraken also own the tiebreaker. Ooh, that's not They've bad. got more regulation wins. So best bets on a Monday. I'm going Backland over two and a half shots, Bjorkstrand over two and a half shots, and a little bonus if you want to uh, parlay a Kraken regulation win in with Bjorkstrand on a same-game parlay. Um, you get yourself up to plus 250. Anything you want to add before we, uh, we finish the hour? Would an over on Elias Lindholm two and a half shots interest you at roughly minus 115 because he's hitting five straight? And the way he played on Saturday. Best yeah. game of the season, I that think, be, for me. That would be interesting as well. Yep, sure. Why not? Jeff Skinner's got the same line. He's also hitting five straight, and he's 56% on the season there. Buffalo is at the New York Rangers. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk. Thanks to Taylor and Cam, our producers. Thanks to Derek Wills as well. As That'll wrap us up on our Flames Talk Best Bets. Brought to you by Bodog.net. Find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Hashtag make a play. Free play only. 18 plus. Play responsibly.